This is Dr. Daniel J. Guerra and it's an uh, Authentic Biochemistry podcast. Today is actually the 3rd of July, 2023, closing in on the 4th. I think today we're going to go ahead and have another fun lecture and maybe do a little bit, very rudimentary, organic chemistry. So let's talk about aldol additions. I want to be reminded that when an aldehyde is treated with an hydroxide or an alkoxide, an equilibrium forms where there's going to be a significant amount of both an enolate and an aldehyde. Now, if the enolate attacks the aldehyde, an aldol addition reaction will occur. And the product will feature both an aldehyde and an alcohol. And the alcohol group is always going to be in the beta carbon. Okay. Now, aldol additions under basic conditions, the enolate is going to be the reactive intermediate. And so the aldol addition reaction, think about the alpha position, the alpha carbon position, it's going to become deprotonated to form an enolate. Then the enolate will serve as a nucleophile, of course, and that will attack the aldehyde. And then the resulting alkoxide ion will become protonated to give the final product. Okay? And that last uh, reaction is basically just proton, proton transfer. So you go proton transfer, nucleophilic attack, and final proton transfer. So aldol additions are basically an equilibrium process. For most simple aldehydes, the aldol product is favored, about uh, three to one. For most ketones, the aldol product is not favored. So there the ketone is about 80% recovery, and then the aldol product is only about 20%. So the reverse process is called, of course, the retroaldol reaction. That mechanism is simply the reverse of the aldol. Okay? So you have a beta hydroxy group that is protonated. Then you lose the there's a you, you the leasing the leaving group disappears in the second series of the reaction. You get proton transfer, loss of the leaving group. This is where the carbonyl group is reformed and what you expel as a leaving leaving group is an enolate then the enolate becomes protonated okay so proton transfer loss of the leaving group that's going to be the enolate and then the proton transfer second now what about aldol condensations very important a lot of these reactions are very important in uh, lipid metabolism okay and when I talk about them, I don't normally don't explain all this organic chemistry because I figure you either know it or you don't. So that's why I'm going through this now because we're, you know, we're kind of like laying low here, going to get back to finish that last last great ten or eleven lectures in immunoepigenetics. I'm just giving you some other things to listen to during this uh, um, long uh, vacation, long holiday period in the United States. It's not happening in all the other countries that listen to authentic biochemistry. I'm sorry that we do have this uh, really important national holiday, 
This is where uh, the United States became free and independent from European powers, right? Starting in uh, 1776, writing the Declaration of Independence. So it's reason to sit back and do just some some other things besides looking at the primary literature for just a couple of lectures. So an aldol condensation, okay? That's when an aldol product, now again, this is organic chemistry. It's not going to be happening in biochemistry. But you can take an aldol product, you can heat it, and you can heat it either in acidic or basic conditions. And, you, and you're going to generate an alpha, beta, unsaturated carbonyl. And we call that an aldol condensation. Okay? And it's going to be a dehydration, basically. So the aldol condensation occurs when the aldol addition is basically performed at high, higher temperatures. Okay? So, for example, in the presence of sodium hydroxide, in an aqueous solution, you apply heat, you're going to make that aldol condensation product. You're going to have a double bond between the alpha and the beta carbon. That's going to be the result, right? Alpha, beta, unsaturated carbonyl. Okay. So the aldol condensation occurs when that aldol addition is performed again at uh, elevated temperature. The enzyme-catalyzed reaction doesn't require any additional heat, obviously. Okay. So the mechanism basically involves first the proton transference. This is going to be the aldol addition part of the reaction. Part it's going to be two parts of the condensation. You're going to have an aldol addition, part one, and then you're going to eliminate water. That's the dehydration. Aldol addition, then dehydration. So beginning of aldol addition, you're going to have the alpha carbon position is going to be deprotonated, and you're going to form that enolate. Then nucleophilic attack will occur and the enolate will serve as that nucleophile. And of course, it's going to attack what? It's going to attack the aldehyde. And then the next uh, part of this reaction and the aldol addition is going to be a proton transfer. So the resulting alkoxide ion then becomes protonated. Okay. Now, part two is the elimination of water. The very first segment of that reaction is going to be another proton transfer. And so the alpha position is going to, the alpha position is going to be deprotonated again to form the enolate. And then you're going to lose the water. And that hydroxide is going to be ejected to afford the product. Okay. And that's basically how you do that elimination of water during that condensation. Now, when two stereoisomeric pi bonds can be formed, the product with fewer steric interactions is always going to be the major product. All right? So, because the aldol condensation is favored, it's impossible, even in organic chemistry, but also, also in biochemistry, to generate a sufficient amount of aldol addition product it just doesn't show up, it doesn't get isolated because the reaction completes the final condensation. So the yield for condensations are typically greater than the yields for the addition reaction. Obviously, that's just a logical conclusion there. Okay. Now, two different 
this will be called now subsection here. I'm going to call this a crossed aldol reaction. Two different aldehyde ketones are going to react in what is known as a crossed aldol reaction or mixed aldol. So you're going to get two different aldehydes yielding four possible aldol products. Okay. So the cross-aldol reactions are only practical and the number of products can be minimized, which is achieved in one of two ways. Number one, one of the substrates is relatively unhindered and without alpha protons. Now, what would that be? Like the aldehyde. Simplest one in organic chemistry would be formaldehyde. There are no alpha protons, right? So that's one way of getting to the crossed aldol reaction. So possible when only one compound can form an enolate and the other compound reacts with the enolate faster. The crossed aldol reactions are only practical and a number of products can be obviously minimized. So again, this is going to occur in one of two ways. You're going to get a directed aldol addition. That's where one comma is completely converted to the enolate, and the other carbonyl is then slowly added to the enolate. Okay. And you get an intramolecular aldol reaction forming cyclic compounds. One group forms the enolate that attacks the other group, and then you get a five or six membered ring structure. Okay. So that's going to be the associated nucleophilic site with the electrophilic site to close that ring. Now that allows me to talk about Clayson condensations. The esters we're talking about here. Esters can undergo a reversible condensation reaction. That reaction is known as a Clayson condensation. So you start off with an ester and you end up with a Clayson condensation product, which is a beta keto ester. So that Clayson condensation is nothing more than a nucleophilic acyl substitution reaction, where the nucleophile is the enolate of the ester. And the electrophile, of course, is the ester itself. And again, the product is an alpha-beta uh, configuration, and you're going to have a beta-keto ester formed. Okay. So again, what's the mechanism? You start off with a proton for the Clayson condensation. Start off with a proton transfer, so the alpha position is going to be deprotonated to form an ester enolate. The nucleophilic attack will occur, and that enolate will be will serve as the nucleophile, and it will attack the ester, forming a tetrahedral intermediate. Then the carbonyl group is going to be reformed by ejecting the alkoxide ion, and that's going to be the leaving group. Then the last part of this mechanism is going to be that protein, proton transfer again. 
and that's the alpha position is deprotonated to form the doubly stabilized enolate. Okay. So that last step, which is the deprotonation of the beta keto ester, drives the reaction. Okay. And that's how you get the neutral product. Now, even in organic chemistry, and less so really in biochemistry because you have enzyme-catalyzed reactions, there are limitations to this Clayson condensation. However, even in the biochemical reactions, you, the rules of Clayson condensation are the following. The starting ester has to have two alpha protons. Why is that? It's because the removal of the second proton by that alkoxide anion is what drives the equilibrium onward. The hydroxide can't be used as the base to promote that Clayson condensation because if that happened, you'd get ester hydrolysis. Okay. You would lose the product. So, Another limitation is that an alkoxide that matches the OR group of the ester is necessary. Otherwise, what will you get? You'll just simply get a transesterification. Okay? Like, for example, move, moving an ethoxy group um, around with a methoxy group. Okay? So then all you're going to get then is transesterification for the ethoxy for the methoxy. And you're not going to get that condensation. It'll never occur. So these cross-clason condensations are useful if one of these criteria are met. Again, reminding you, one ester has no alpha protons. Second, performing directly clason condensation must occur. Right? And that's usually using LDA as the base. So the intramolecular Clayson condensations can be just achieved via a cyclization reaction. That's called the Dieckmann or Dieckmann cyclization. And just like with the aldol uh, uh, reaction condensation, the Dieckmann cyclization will prefer to form that five or six membered ring structure. Okay. So the alpha position can be alkylated when the enolate is treated with, for example, an alkyl halide. The enolate attacks the alkyl halide via an SN2 type of reaction. Okay. So that alkylation of the alpha position, you have a typical SN2 restriction that occurs. That's when a secondary or tertiary alkyl halide is used, you will get an E2 elimination. At least it will dominate, right? So the aldol reaction also competes with the desired alkylation. So a strong base like LDA has to be used, okay? 
And what is that going to involve besides this? Okay, it's going to involve a, a requirement to discuss the regioselectivity. So a lot of these reactions, it's not necessary to consider the regioselectivity. But in, in, the, in the case we're talking about here, where you have non-symmetrical ketones, two different enolates can form. Two distinct enolates can form, okay? So the alkylation of the alpha position is where the regioselectivity becomes the issue because you have these two different enolates. So you have a thermo, so-called more substituted, so-called thermodynamic enolate in the, in the presence of base, and that's more stable. And then you have the kinetic enolate which is less substituted and it's also much less stable, but it forms quickly, also in the presence of base. Okay, so it follows a reaction, kinetic, where the potential energy for the thermodynamic enolate is going to have a higher potential energy um, during that reaction phenomena than the kinetic enolate. It will have a lower potential energy during its uh, reaction, uh, following the reaction coordinate, right? of course. So the alkylation of the alpha position, the kinetic enolate is favored by an irreversible condition. So the thermodynamic enolate is favored by the reversible condition. Okay, you understand that? So what about alkylation of the alpha position? So take malonic acid ester synthesis. Here you've got a classical alkyl halide. It's going to be converted into the carboxylic acid with the two additional carbons, right? So diethylmalonate is the starting material. First of all, you react diethylmalonate with a base to form the corresponding enolate, and that stabilizes. The enolate is stabilized. Then the enolate is reacted with the alkyl halide, and both ester groups are then hydrolyzed to get two products. Okay. Well, one product, but after hydrolysis. So the alkylation of the alpha position, one of the resulting carboxyl gas groups is then decarboxylate. And that can occur enzymatically or it can occur with heat in, our, in the organic laboratory. So a 1,3-dicarboxylic acid, 1,3-dicarboxylate, will undergo decarboxylation. And that process, of course, is considered pericyclic, and it also involves an ultimate tautomerization. Now, malonic acid ester synthesis overall, then, going again from the beginning, you're going to have a diethylmalonate, which can be dialkylated. Now, acetoacetate ester synthesis is analogous to the malonate synthesis because you're going to convert an alkyl halide again, this is organic chemistry, not the biochemistry, to a methyl ketone. And now you're going to have 
three new carbon atoms added. Okay. So conjugate addition reactions like this, you recall that the alpha beta unsaturated carbonyls will always be made via an aldol condensation. So then the alpha beta unsaturated carbonyls have three resonance hybrids, three resonance contributions, right? That can occur depending on the formal negative charge on that oxygen atom and whether or not there is a corresponding cationic character to that carbon that's bound to the oxygen. So the beta carbon and the carbonyl carbon are both going to be in this, re in this reaction electrophilic. So you're going to basically have two electrophilic positions. Okay. And either, either carbon will be attacked. And of course, what that depends on is what nucleophile you choose. So the conjugate addition reactions, you can use a Grignard reagent, and that will attack the carbonyl. And that's known as a 1-2 addition reaction. And the Gilman reagent generally attacks the beta position. And that's called a 1-4 addition or a conjugate addition. And that's what we wanted to discuss here. So in the general mechanism of conjugate addition, you have an enolate intermediate and you end up with an enol product. And the enol, as I said, will then tautomerize to the aldehyde ketone. Okay. Now, stronger nucleophiles will tend towards that 1-2 addition. But the weaker nucleophiles will do the conjugate addition. Typical enolates often give a mixture of 1,2 and 1,4 addition products. And the stabilized enolates give the 1,4 addition almost exclusively. Okay. Now, let me see how much time I got left because we're about ready to go through the conjugate 1,4 addition, which is also known as the Michael reaction, something we were talking about quite a bit a while back. Yeah, I've got some more time. Okay. So, Conjugate 1,4 addition is called a Michael reaction. The Michael donor is a nucleophile that does the work of conjugate addition. The Michael acceptor is going to be the alpha beta unsaturated carbonyl. So depending on what you're starting with, Michael donors, you're going to have different reaction products that are going to basically you're going to have certain michael donors that are going to give you exclusively a one four addition that's going to basically end up with an unsaturated carbonyl compound okay that's the this the summation of what will occur now there's also something called the stork enamine synthesis in organic chemistry. Now, because singly stabilized enolates don't give a high-yielding Michael addition, someone named Stork developed a synthesis using enamine intermediate. Okay. So enamines, the way that they function is they act like enolates. What does that mean? They're nucleophiles. Okay. 
So the enolate ion is similar to what happens to the enamine, right? Where you're going to, and the enamine, you're going to have a formal positive cationic character of the nitrogen atom. And one of the carbons in the ring structure is going to have a slightly negative polarization. So because of that, the enamine is less nucleophilic and becomes a Michael donor. Okay, so after conjugate addition, if you add aqueous acid, it will convert both groups into carbonyls. So before that, before you add aqueous acid, you, you'll have an imineum and an enolate. An imineum, that's again a nitrogen atom double bonded to the carbon on the cyclized uh, carbon structure, uh, that ring. And that will be a will generate a positive charge, a cationic character, because that nitrogen atom is also bonded to our groups. So that 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 is called an imineum. Imineum, I guess is a proper way to say it. I M I N I U M. I think it's where it's spelled. Okay, and then you have the enolate right on the uh, carbonyl tail, and that enolate is going to have a mild negative charge. And again, the presence of aqueous acid, you're going to end up getting the two carbonyl groups as product. So overall, this is that's something I've looked at for a long time, but I think that's called a, 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 a stork enamine synthesis. So what happens, you form an enamine, you get the Michael addition, and then you get hydrolysis. All these reactions I'm talking about have a representative in biochemical reactions. Now, not every single one. Obviously, the ones with halides are not very common. But all these reactions I'm dealing about with various levels of um, substituted, um, partially hydrogenated intermediates, right? You're going to end up with similar products. When you do a bio, when you do an enzyme catalyzed reaction, depending on starting material. So, I think I can close with this last thing. It's called the Robinson annulation. The Robinson annulation starts off with a Michael addition, and then it ends with an aldol condensation. This is two step process. So you form a ring. And that means you have that Michael addition going. It's followed then by this intramolecular final aldol condensation. All right. So you have a fused ring structure in the end. All right. With two carboxylic acids, one on one ring, one on the other ring. And a level of unsaturated in, in the uh, beta ring. All right. I think I'm going to stop there because I think we're going to go on here. What the rest of what I could do in, in this lecture would be talking about some strategies for synthesis. And I don't think that's relevant for us because what I wanted to go through are the reaction mechanisms um, because that's what's important in biochemistry, right? Um, we're not going to be talking about how to make these reactions favor one product over another, and that's what an organic chem chemist would do. 
And um, I worked with organic chemists. I worked near them anyways. I wasn't doing organic chemistry. Way back when I was a postdoctoral fellow at Peoria, Illinois, at the Northern Regional Research Center uh, of the ARS. And uh, they were doing a lot of these kind of reactions because they were doing things like getting deuterium loaded onto um, carbonyls so that they could do um, monounsaturated, diunsaturated condensation reactions and look at what happens when you add a cis or trans double bond. Right? This is way back in the uh, 1980s. So I'm going to stop here. Hopefully that was exciting for you. Now, I know if you don't have a chemi chemical background, particularly if you haven't looked at organic chemistry in a long time, this might not have been something that you got a lot out of, but I know there are chemists that listen, and I wanted to favor them a little bit um, because I don't do that often enough. And I don't do enough discussion of organic chemistry. So when we get back to biochemistry, I'm going to remind you of some of these reactions. And I'll go back and I'll describe again how, how those reactions proceed through those intermediates. But then it's going to be enzyme catalyzed. And one of the reasons I do that is not so much just so you know the mechanism, but so that you understand that what enzymes do is they catalyze reactions that have basically all been described in organic chemistry. But the way that the enzyme works, it alters the free energy state of the intermediates. So the reaction velocity is greatly enhanced without altering, for example, thermal conditions or having strong acid or strong base, which would never be favored in a biological system. Uh, and that's a good take home message. It's Dr. Dan Guerra at Authentic Biochemistry. Uh, on the 3rd of July, uh, saying bye for now.